very popular um, these days to, <coughs> for people to say that life is merely a biological phenomenon. I remember Jonathan Miller, the um, doctor turned theatre director, talking about his atheism a number of years ago, and he said, we have no soul. Our, our, our consciousness, our sense of ourself that we have that is distinct from the body is an illusion, he said. It is just, in fact, the manufacture of the, the product of a couple of pounds of grey biological porridge in your cranium. But actually, I think most people are persuaded, not only that that, that doesn't make sense of what it means to be human, but actually, that in the end, it's deeply destructive. That Darwinian evolution, not actually so much in the hands of Darwin, but in the hands of others who followed him, that, who just saw life as being the, the survival of the fittest in a, in a competitive world, human life included. And the people who believe that, in fact, um, fed Nazism and ultimately the Holocaust. They justified it on specifically Darwinian grounds. They were eradicating an inferior race. And I don't think it's a coincidence that actually the more people think of human beings just in terms of their physical appetites, the more we get problems associated with that, from, from obesity to sexually transmitted diseases to, to um, uh, uh, the gap between rich and poor as people just pursue their personal greed. After all, we're just machines, aren't we? Designed to maximise our own uh, benefit, so goes the argument. But it doesn't. It doesn't make sense. Or at least it doesn't make sense of our instinctive sense of what it means to be human. Overwhelmingly, I think, people believe that there, there is something about them that is more than just physical. We, have, we can call it a soul or a, or a spirit or a, or a self, but there is something that transcends the merely biological in being human. And it is that that John has been talking about again and again in his Gospel. Remember we've, been, we, we've seen that there are a number of signs in John's Gospel and all of them are, are very physical. But at every point those signs have been designed to point to some, some, some spiritual, some eternal reality beyond the mere physicality of the sign. That was the case when Jesus turned water into wine, wasn't it? I mean, I'm sure Jesus does love a good party. That seemed to be very evident in his life. But it wasn't just about having a good party. There was more to it than that. We saw that a number of weeks ago. He heals people as signs, as well as, uh, as the Gospel has, has uh, gone on. And we saw uh, last week, I think it was, that, that one of those healings in John chapter 5 leads him on to talking about not just physical healing, but life, eternal life, a life that begins now, which is of a different quality to, to, to just having your, your, your biological life sorted out. Eternal life that carries on beyond death, indeed ultimately into resurrection life. 
So um, always we should be looking when we see John, when we read John's gospel. For what is the what is the what is the deeper significance of this spiritual sign? And so should the people who are seeing those signs in the first place. But again and again they don't, and that's so obvious in John chapter six. So I said before. Um, uh, the introduction to, to uh, the passage we're going to focus on in John, John 6 shows Jesus feeding the 5,000 with, uh, with, with bread. And then um, John seems to have conflated these two miracles together to give some sort, of, some sort of cumulative sense of their significance. He records Jesus walking on the water. Um, and um, that one in particular to old te- people steeped in their Old Testament, uh, is, is pointing beyond itself to uh, Jesus being, in some sense, God. God walked on the waters ahead of Israel as they escaped from Egypt, says the Old Testament. And here is Jesus walking on the water. We should see those things, but they don't. They follow Jesus And Jesus turns around in verse 26, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Those signs were pointing beyond. Actually, to... to, to what is most important about what it means to be human. Something spiritual. Something that transcends the merely biological. And um, Jesus then takes it, that Jesus is, is, is at the beginning saying, you've had physical food, but look to, to, to the spiritual food the, the food that feeds the essence of who you are, which will last on into, into eternal life. That's the bread that God intends to, to give. But then he has yet another twist in um, verse 35. And it's from that moment that we're going to start looking at the passage in more. He's not only saying God will give you that, that, that bread to nourish you at a deeper level. He is saying he himself is that bread. Verse 35. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Vitally important that we recognise that this... This is the most important dimension of who we are. We are biological creatures. We have biological needs. But if we, if, if, if we consider ourselves merely as that, if those needs rule us, then, uh, as has happened so many times in different people's lives and in whole societies, we will find ourselves dehumanised. It is the most essential part of your dignity that there is something beyond just who you are biologically. And that's what Jesus is going to talk about. 
In that context, he says some amazing, wonderful things. In verses 35 to 40, he makes uh, an extraordinary promise. First of all, we've seen it, his promise is that somehow he himself nourishes that deep part of who you are. But he goes beyond that, doesn't he, in verse 35? No one who comes to him um, uh, uh, will be turned away. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Then jump to 37. All those who the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So, so, so God has, a, has people whom he gives to the Son. And every single one, he says, of those whom God has decided to give to the, to, to the Son, Jesus, will come to him. It is a divine decree that has been set in the mind of God that that shall happen. And more than that, those who come to him, not a single one of them will be turned away. More than that, he says in verse 39, everyone, when they have come to Jesus truly and found him, will be kept eternally. Do you see verse 39? This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. They may die, but there is resurrection life beyond death. And not a single one whom God gives him will fail to be raised and united with him on the last day. That's what he's saying. How are we kept? It's very simple, verse 40. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life and I will raise him up at the last day. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him. That's all you need to do. It's not a matter of, 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 of labouring hard, of, of, of working our socks off. It's not a matter of achieving a certain level of righteousness. It's not any of those things. It's a person who looks to Jesus, who trusts in Jesus. They are the ones who are kept. So, these are extraordinary promises to us. If you come to Jesus... You are absolutely promised that he will accept you. I said before, I think, I, 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 I'm in the habit of saying something quite controversial to people who are searching. Um, and they do get a little bit taken aback sometimes. I say to them, but I absolutely guarantee if your search is sincere and you sincerely try to work out who Jesus is, and uh, with a willingness to respond to what you find, if you're coming sincerely, I absolutely guarantee you, he will accept you. There's no, no ambiguity about it at all in, on the mouth of Jesus Christ. All who come to me, I will not turn away. I will not throw out. And there's uh, um, an extraordinary... Um, uh, promise as well to us who have come to him. We will stay there 
That doesn't mean to say you can't make a mess of your life. It doesn't mean to say you, you, you can't cause yourself all sorts of misery and damage. I see, I'm a pastor, I see people do that. It is heartbreaking. It is, it is, it is difficult and it is terrible for them sometimes. But it does mean to say that those whom God has called, those whom God has turned to look at Jesus, they do not get lost. It comes from the mouth of Jesus. That's the first thing, then, that Jesus says uh, to, to us. You will be accepted. You will find life. You will be kept and raised at the last day as you look to Jesus. Then there's a warning that starts in verse 41 that we need to take um, uh, seriously. The Jews grumbled amongst themselves and Jesus answered, no one can come to me. Sorry, let's go back to 41, not 43. At this the Jews began grumbling. They grumble a lot in this chapter, that's the problem. At this the Jews began grumbling about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? And Jesus said, stop grumbling amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them and I will raise them up at the last day. You see, you, you, you see the, the, the teaching of Jesus is strong meat and it always, as it, if it is heard right, it always arouses strong emotions in response. And um, uh, not least, the teaching of Jesus about who he is. How can he say he's that, they say? And the teaching of Jesus about the certainty of God's decision about drawing people to himself. How can he say that, say people? And Jesus says to both of them, stop grumbling. Don't grumble. Grumbling in that, in that situation is a sign that the person is not prepared to submit to the sovereign hand of God. That doesn't mean to say stop questioning. Sometimes there are legitimate questions to ask. It doesn't mean to say close your mind and just leap into the, into the abyss of faith. It doesn't mean that. But it does mean that you ask those questions with a certain level of humility. And crucially, says Jesus, you cannot come to him unless you accept that he is actually ultimately sovereign in drawing you. Stop grumbling, no one can come to me unless the Father draws them. What you should be doing, he's saying implicitly, is not grumbling, but on your knees praying that God will in his mysterious, hidden decision call you to himself. How does he do that? He does it, this um, um, 44, by, uh, sorry, verses 45 and following, by allowing people to hear his voice. Verse 45, he says, it was predicted in the prophets. It's written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. The prophets, long ago, 
knew that there would be a sense in which all God's people hear the word of God for themselves. And now it's happening, he says. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. So we, so we need to be on our knees, not grumbling. On our knees. Seeking to hear the word of God. Seeking to hear, not just to understand these words, but a sense, am I hearing the authentic voice of the Son of God, Jesus, as I read them? He draws us in a lap to And then Jesus moves on in verses 52 to 59 to issuing a very strong challenge. Verse 52. The Jews, they're getting more and more agitated. The Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Jesus is doing two principal things here. The first, first thing, he is using the most vivid language imaginable to, to try and help us see the, 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 what he means when he says, I am the bread of life. There is a sense in which, in that deep um, dimension of who we are, the beyond biological dimension of who we are, we feed on Jesus to have life. He uses this phrase, these phrases, eats my flesh, drinks my blood. He wants us to, 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 to he's using physical imagery to try and help us to, to see. We, we find life by finding nourishment from Jesus in the same way that we find biological life by finding um, nourishment from, 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 from bread and water. But he's doing something else as well. He's not only using that vivid imagery to, to help us to understand things that are difficult to understand. He's using that imagery explicitly to offend some people. Because uh, uh, Jews, you see, would have been horrified by the thought of uh, uh, eating flesh. It's it's horrifying um, enough to us. It it, it sounds like cannibalism. But but to them, who were steeped in Old Testament laws, and in particular laws about not eating flesh with blood in it, they would be horrified. He's doing something quite specific. He is, he is um, raising the stakes. And uh, he elicits a significant response. Look at verse 66. From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. 
You don't want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus knows the true believers, true people who have found him, have come to a point where they know there is nowhere else to go to find life. And he wants to sift out the, the casual, the, the incidental followers from those who know there is nowhere else to go. To whom shall we go, says John? You have the words of eternal life. There may be difficult things for us to understand. There are may, may be things that offend us. But we can't go anywhere else. Those are the only kinds of disciples he wants. I wonder whether that's you. It's very, very important that we get to that point. There are people in this world, just like the crowds and the wider group of disciples, who like some of the teachings of Jesus. They think they're good. They, they have that sort of sense that this is good stuff. But they're not following him as the only source of life. And they will fall away. Indeed, in one sense, Jesus wants them to. Because better they should see clearly that they're not following him than that they should tag along and be deceived. I, I, I don't know what questions you have. You may have some significant ones. They will be good, I'm sure they're good questions to deal with. But if they are questions that, that, that become more important than knowing the living Jesus, then they will soon cause us to walk away. They fit under that general sense that only Jesus' people have. That whatever questions I have, whatever struggles, whatever disappointments, whatever confusion, I can't go anywhere else. There's a uh, a book out not so long ago uh, by a man called Jerry Sitzer who uh, called uh, A Grace Disguise. Judy's been reading it and um, reading bits to me. Um, and uh, uh, he lost his wife and a child and mother in a, in a car accident and was thrown into questions and difficulty and struggle and he contemplated giving up on his faith. But then then he says he thought this. It's better to live in a world where I am struggling to understand a God who should allow such thing, but still to acknowledge his sovereignty over me, than to live in a world with no God, in which even actually tragedies are meaningless. He says, in a world with no God, 
there's no category of tragedy that just whatever is, is. It says at one point, why shouldn't I have laughed at my wife's funeral? He couldn't go anywhere else. He had questions. But Jesus had the words of eternal life and he couldn't walk away. That is what Jesus is wanting to do in your life. And it is glorious, but it may be tough. I want to say to you, anyone who is not yet a follower of Jesus, this is the most important thing, decision that you will make in your life. I know through long experience there are people who come and they think and they walk away and it happens in the Bible too. I have to accept that but I have to say to you don't do that quickly because it is so central to finding who you are. And to those who are followers of Jesus, who have heard that voice that, uh, that, that Jesus talks about, who have come to Jesus and felt his acceptance, do not live your life merely at a biological level. Don't be tempted to go back and be satisfied as uh, these crowds were with just that they had food to eat. No, knowing Jesus and feeding on Jesus and being nourished in your inner soul by Jesus is the most important aspect of who you are. There's an American pastor called um, Tullian Chabijin um, who um, has just written a book Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That is so profound, so important, so so simple. It is Jesus you need when you fall into sin to forgive your sin. It is Jesus you need when you are confused and don't know what to do to help you with wisdom. It is Jesus that you, you need when you're feeling despairing and pessimistic to give you hope. It is Jesus you need. And as you feed in your soul on Jesus, you discover he is the bread of life. Do not emaciate your soul. Feed on him. And he will make you into a full human being. And more than that, he will raise you up on the last day. I am the bread of life, said Jesus. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Well, Kitty's going to leave us in praise and worship and prayer.